right, everybody. Welcome to Yeah, But Still. Joining me today, a band that I've been wanting to have on since I started the podcast. Two people that I've known for a very long time, Nate and Stevie from Waves. How's it going, guys? Good to see you, Zach. Zach? Bro, (laughs) I just said I've known you for a long time. You're going to make me look stupid in front of these people. No, that's the text I got from Nate yesterday. Hey, Zach. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, did I really? (laughs) Yeah. Zach Jack, my bad. Uh, Yes, great to be here, uh, uh, Jack. How's it going? Fantastic. Making your podcast debut. Yeah, my potty, my potty debut. Dude, we have not seen each other for a long time. I want to lay out right off the bat. One of my earliest friends in Los Angeles, um, I directed multiple music videos for you. Yeah, some like tour stuff too. Yeah, went on fully went on tour. We had a lot of adventures. So I've been wanting to do this episode for a super long time, finally making it happen. And I think this is going to be one of our final episodes. People probably know by now. So, oh, oh, what? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. You have waves on uh, and the thing just crumbles. <laughs> so I wanted to finally have you on and kind of like, I don't know, talk about the the long tale of waves. You have a really interesting story um, that I don't even know how much everybody knows. Nate, first of all, I want to address the landlord situation. Uh, which by the damn right off the bat i know well dude let's just get it out let's get it out because i mean that's uh it was a meme but honestly i think i was kind of surprised that it took that long for that drama to unfold because i mean one of your earliest albums king of the beach i mean that kind of that kind of made it clear which side of feudalism you're on you know what i'm saying uh lord of the lands exactly i mean this is no secret to me Uh at least but i mean i'm kidding but there's definitely some some backstory, I think, that is probably missing here, I think, you know? So I want to talk about it. Yeah, there's probably... I mean, <clears throat> I don't really talk about it a ton. Obviously, people, like, uh, sort of rush to sort of these, like, judgment things and That was situations. a crazy time period. That was a crazy time period. It, it was, like, a wrong yeah, time. Pro- that was peak, yeah, probably peak not, leftist probably Twitter. Not the time. Peak leftist Twitter. Yeah, probably not the time to flex, uh, like about owning property <laughs> or making money. <laughs> uh, but um, well, dude, the funniest yeah. the funniest part, and sorry to put you on blast, but the funniest part was like, I don't really know. Everybody was like freaking out about that and like being uh, like waves, like this rich landlord or whatever. And I was, I don't know if it was literally at the time or shortly after, but you had landlords of your own eventually in San Diego. Which I think really changes the scenario. Oh, I I have land, a landlord right now. Well, of course, but so, there was a there was a period shortly after where you were like fully like living with your parents back in San Diego. I oh, think. right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You I was living are. in their yeah. I was living in their laundry room. Was it was it uh, during was it during the landlord saga or like? Right I after? mean, I not that had sort of died down a bit at that point, but yeah, like when the beginning of the pandemic started i ended my lease in los angeles we were supposed to go on tour the tour both of all our tours uh u.s and an australian tour got canceled and so um like we were talking about a little bit before this started uh basically everybody in waves sort of just like left los angeles moved back in with their parents or basically went home Stephen went back to memphis i went back to san diego and I was uh, living in the laundry room 
for a while, just like sort of waiting. I don't know what I was waiting for. I thought maybe like it would blow over the pandemic thing. Obviously yeah. that wasn't the case. And I just sort of ended up staying uh, in San Diego as a, but, uh, as a observer of like the, the Twitter drama, which by the way, I mean, if people don't know, like you basically posted, uh, a room in some kind of like a Craigslist ad, a Craigslist ad for yeah. like a, <laughs> for like a rehabbed, like a, a flipped apartment complex that I believe you in. Well, we'll get to that, but like, I believe you were an investor in, it was like, oh my God waves as a landlord it was like this whole thing it was this huge backlash weirdly um but it was funny for me watching it the outside especially because it kind of went on for a minute into the period where you were living in the laundry room and i'm like dude this man lives with his parents (laughs) like those are his landlords right now (laughs) it's it's very funny seeing like from my perspective seeing people paint you as like this like rich figure it was just funny knowing that you were like living in your parents house at the time we, we talk about it we talked about it on the last tour how it's like of such a like a lose-lose because people think i'm like rich i like make so much money off of all this stuff don't make any money off of it right so it's an investment we talked about this a little bit it's an when we did when we got our um guarantee from warner brothers it was a big chunk of money and my manager at the time knowing that I was basically a deadbeat alcoholic, I would probably just spend the money wildly in a year and just, or lose it or whatever. He was like, it's not a good idea for you to have this money. You should probably just invest it in a few things. Yeah. And so that's what I did. Me and the producer of one of the records that we were on, a couple of other artists in Los Angeles pooled together. There's like 12 of us. So I owned like one twelfth. Name names. Of, yeah, dox yeah, right? them, bro. <laughs> I, I don't want to dox anybody here. I'll take the heat for all of this. And then, uh, and then you know, I invested in some other things, a few stocks, uh, invested in a, a, a beer company called St. Archer out of San Diego. I remember that happening. That was a wise, wise move. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, you know, my manager, like, God bless him. He, I think he sort of had the foresight and I'd seen before that I was just going to blow the cash immediately. And so to lock it into something like property or stock or whatever was going to be good for me in the long run. And, you know, generally bands, musicians, whatever, there's a short timeline on how long you can make money. And luckily we've been able to do it longer than most, but, uh, it's not an infinite thing. So it's, you want to have, you want to have something afterwards. And so that was the whole idea. Like it's just, it's almost like a retirement fund. I remember that happening. And I mean, I wanted to talk about it, but I think what was funny for me at the time is somebody that like knows you personally is like, there was part of me when I saw that going down and it kind of being painted as if you personally owned like an apartment complex. I was sort of mad from the other side where I was like, bro, he doesn't own a fucking apartment complex. Like he owns like a little bit, maybe a little, maybe a little bit. He's not, he's not, he doesn't have money like that. Come on. <laughs> I, but I was like coming up from the yeah, opposite I, I, side. I was like, I was like, you guys are thinking too highly of this man. He doesn't have those bags. So, I don't think. So I, yeah, I stopped correcting people. Cause after a while I was like, damn, people like really think I'm like this, like 
sharky investor. <laughs> I saw and people I'm like, like adding it up. They're like eight rooms, like three grand a month. He's he's making twenty four thousand dollars a month. Yeah. Well, and also that that building probably would have been like a eight million dollar building or something fucking crazy. No, probably less, but I don't know. No, it's like worth three now. I think everybody. Oh wow! So you're still a landlord, bro. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I'm not I'm not collecting a rent roll, but uh, no, I know, I know. So, I'm just yeah. You're not like going and picking up checks. I mean, dude, the funny thing <laughs> is, it's like a lot of people are like that's oh, that yeah, was the absolutely. other thing when I saw when it was going. It's like, dude, I don't think they realize like how many famous people are doing that or something worse. A lot worse, and yeah. I mean, I'm not like fucking Logan Paul crypto scamming people. Uh, and I can understand if people are like, maybe that's something that they think it just is not, I don't know, maybe they have some sort of like different values or they see it in some sort of different light. I think most people just don't, they don't understand what, what it actually entails. And I stopped saying like, I'm not a landlord because people weren't going to listen anyways. And after a while, it just, it kind of became fun. Um. And so you just sort of like play into the, at that, at some point you're just like, okay, it's a heel turn. So you just become the heel and you wait, you know, a while for a baby face. Yeah. It was, um, what was that like watching that unfold, Steven? <laughs> uh, I was scared to say anything because I didn't want <laughs> So sorry. I didn't, I, uh, I, w- I remained silent and, uh, I should have come to Nate's defense. Thanks Steven. Uh, I think I liked uh, a comment you made, Jack, about uh, like, oh no, Nathan's gentrifying Silver Lake. Oh my <laughs> god! Yeah, that was a that was a funny layer to it, where it was like there was the gentrification, which is that was like one accusation, but it was like, dude, this is place is yeah. long gone. Silver Lake yeah, is come on. toast. I mean, yeah, it was just so many funny layers to it, and I, I'm. It was one of those things where I thought it was going to be like a one-day thing, but it kind of like had staying power that surprised me. And mm-hmm. in a way... There was nothing else to do. That was like sort of the timing too, where it was like people really were sinking their teeth in. Like nobody wanted to let... It wasn't just me, but nobody wanted to let anything go. It was... So... What year was that? Uh, 2018, maybe? 2018. It was like peak yeah. Trump where like... Yeah, there was this thing that everybody wanted to fight and you just couldn't beat. So they're just like, I don't know, like anything that you could seemingly win on Twitter. I think people were like eager to jump on it, you know. Well, it was it was pretty crazy because like so the leftists were mad that I owned property. And so they were in my comments every day talking shit to me. And then the like far right were in my comments as well talking shit to me because I had. I was very vocal that I didn't want people that supported Trump to even come to our shows. And oh, so that yeah. was in it that was made like like, right after a Breitbart article came out, like yeah. talking shit about waves. And then right. like and then the left <laughs> side also jumps. It's hard waves, to believe so. this even happened now when we're like describing this, you know? Yeah. So the far right and far left just fucking they teamed up the like fucking Voltron after us. That was really funny. Yeah, this is surreal to describe now. And it sounds, and you were just watching. You're just letting him take it, Steven. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you could, anything you said was just going to get attacked. 
So yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt like it's just true. being quiet, laying low is the best thing to do. And I was just like hoping Nathan wouldn't respond, which and, he stopped doing and like, after a little bit. This it's funny because like this is like one of the first times I've like directly talked to you about it. Well, we could edit this out if you don't want to say it, but like I think I think you were asked to post that, like the listing or whatever. But when I saw it, I was like, dude, he's trying to big he's trying to look like a big time baller right now, and he's probably trying to impress like one girl. You know, or something <laughs> like when you were like, oh, unit available in my apartment or like whatever. I'm like Silver Lake. Yeah. Right I, next to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I was like, no. this is, he's probably trying to like this is for one girl to see like a specific person where he's like, yeah, it's uh, yeah. Two, not a big deal. Two to me. years of uh, getting fucking uh, trolled for <laughs> one uh, for for one Raya date. <laughs> I mean, now, I, that, it, Sadly, it wasn't that. It was actually, yeah, you'll probably have to cut this out, but all of the units got rented right away, which is another funny part of it because everybody was like, who the fuck is going to rent uh, like one bedroom uh, in Silver Lake for $3,000? And it was. It took, I think, maybe like 48 hours before the whole thing was, was rented. I know it was like a weird way to start this podcast, but I thought it would be interesting because... I don't know. It's like kind of this ongoing topic of discussion with like indie music or even punk and hardcore and like how, you know, most people are severely underpaid, how hard it is to make money in the space and then everything that comes with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's strange. There's this weird, strange thing that you get in more in the indie culture um, with people in in regards to making money like people have a very certain streamlined idea of how uh you as an artist can make money and um they don't want to pay for the music necessarily and they don't want to pay for a lot of things so if you try different avenues to get a revenue stream then people can you know it's like unfathomable, which is weird because I talked to Killer Mike about this because Killer Mike owns a lot of multifamily homes in Atlanta. And he got a little bit of a backlash as well when he talked about it. And it's not nearly as bad, but I think particularly in the indie world where it's a lot harder to make money, longevity is super hard as well. You know, you, you're in and out very quickly. And what do you have to show for it? Especially if you try and make a money grab with a major label or something like that, then they're going to take your merch. They're going to take some of your touring money and they're going to lock you into a deal for, you know, 10 to 13 years. You, you have to figure out how to make that money last or you're gone. Yeah, it's true. And a lot of people don't even make it in the first place. No. When obviously did, that's I mean it's hard. When let's start from the beginning and like also when Stevie came into the picture too cuz this I mean this basically started in your garage literally, right? Classic scenario. Yep. Wasn't it like right after a bad breakup or something? Or am I mistaken? Yeah. No, no. It was after a bad breakup. How old were you uh, and how did wave start? Um I was 21. And, uh, I was living in Portland. I was working at like American apparel in Portland. 
and I was fucking just like so depressed and I was, I got to get out of here. I moved back to San Diego, started a couple of bands, played locally and uh, eventually started um, this sort of like one man project, which was waves. And then I was, at that time I was just sort of, I was working at a record store um, with a buddy of mine and I was just sort of posting the songs on MySpace. No sort of, you know, I was hoping to maybe somebody would uh, see it and, and like press a seven inch for me or something. I didn't have like crazy goals at that time. And then it kind of just started to snowball. When did you join the band, Steven? Like less than a year after that. I think the Waves first show was October like Halloween show 2008. And then I was in the band October, 2009. Uh, I met Nate at Primavera mm. the year that he meltdown <laughs> melted down. Wait, what was the Primavera um, meltdown again? Um, uh, yeah, Steve, I, I don't really remember it as well. Steve can tell. Well, I was there uh, playing with Jay retard and then Nathan was there playing as waves and we were playing on the same day. I met Nate just a few hours before his set he was really fucked up but i was pretty fucked up too and i think we did some mdma and smoked weed okay and then he got got up and played a show and i was i thought it was a good show but i was also <laughs> you know just like blitzed out of my brain but uh apparently he fucked up a lot and got in a fight with his drummer and i don't know if he finished the show or not did you walk? Oh, off? I finished. Okay. No, I've I've finished. Yeah, yeah. There was but, a lot. Uh, there was that. The lore of that became people were like saying that somebody like threw a bottle in my face. And I got hit with shoes. Would have been way cooler, but. But I think we ended up partying that night. I think you stayed in my hotel room that night because yeah. you were in a fight with your drummer at the time. Yeah. And then I think your drummer stayed with Jay, maybe or. Maybe I'm getting mm. it mixed up. Maybe Ryan stayed with us. But anyway, we all got fucked up together. A uh, couple months later, I quit Jay Retard. And Nathan had another European tour coming up. And Zach Hill, I think, left. Like He told Nathan like three days before they were leaving. Like, uh, I think I'm not going to go on tour. I'm just going to go to Japan. I forgot Zach Hill and was in the band. Yeah, Zach did a U.S. tour with me. Uh, That's not the drummer uh, you were tour. fighting with, though, right? No, Zach Hill was much better. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Zach Hill was a real drummer. And he, we did a full U.S. tour, and then he, I think he was maybe going to come to Europe, but he said that he wanted to go to maybe Japan. He was playing with the Boredoms. I don't know if you remember the Boredoms. Mm -hmm. that Boredoms 77, Boredoms 88, where it was like 77 drummers. Oh my god! Yeah, so uh, so I called Stephen and Billy and asked them sort of last minute. I think the first show was in Mexico City or something. Yeah, it was a MySpace Mexico party. Right. Yeah. This is a funny era already. Like <laughs> yeah. we we yeah. we partied with the president of MySpace Mexico, and he served us monkey meat, and. Uh, <laughs> He brought out, it was like a rack yeah. of ribs from a monkey. And they were all like, Chongo, Chongo, Chongo. <laughs> <laughs> there were platters of cocaine and platters of monkey. This is a yeah. serious, Are you kidding this me? is a real story. No, I'm serious. It was disgusting. 
There's not even monkeys in Mexico. Am I wrong? Like, I don't, oh, do they the have president monkeys? of MySpace Mexico. Well, he's fly- but he's there. to be clear, flying the monkeys in to eat. These are not like farm I would table. So they're. That's really. Yeah, funny. I didn't inquire about the monkey where you got the monkey. It's I didn't like Indiana eat the Jones either. Party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, did you did you try it? I ate the monkey. Yeah, I chowed down. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Wait, I think our I think one of the vegans in our tour. Yeah, party Dane, also. our tour manager at the time, who was vegan, like hardline vegan, like wouldn't. You know, would like bust out windows of animal testing factories. He ate the monkey too. Why did he eat the monkey? He uh, was just cocaine. Like... I don't know. Yeah, cocaine. <laughs> cocaine, definitely. So, co- I mean, so coked up, you break your vegan streak on yeah. for on a monkey. People have different side effects to cocaine. Mine generally is that I don't eat monkey. But... <laughs> <laughs> Wait. So, okay. That was in Mexico. That was like your first show with the band. Is that why we brought that up? I'm a little lost now. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. the first show. Uh, that yeah, Steve Nathan asked us two days before that show to join the band. Then we flew to Mexico City, practiced just at the venue for the first time, and then played the show. Then we flew to Europe, I guess, right after that. Dude. Yeah. But it's what's funny is that like, I feel like there's a gap. When did when did you go from MySpace posting to playing the festivals? Like what what happened? You know. Uh, I, I honestly within just a like blur? a couple of weeks of po- uh, yeah, really? a little bit. Well, no, uh, well, no, I'm a little bit stoned right now, so I'm trying to put together the <laughs> timeline. But it was like from the time that I started posting because I posted so bored within like a month maybe of having the myspace and i think maybe fader or vice picked it up and within like two months of that i had a a record with fuck it tape oh no a record with woodsist maybe like four or five seven inches and then i started and then john chavez who's my tour manager reached out to me and he was like do you want me to book you a tour? So that's flew to New York, played one show. I think it was like a Todd P show. It was like a warehouse type thing. And then, and then directly to Europe. So like that's within crazy. the year, that's crazy. Yeah. Within the first year of posting a song on MySpace, I was in Barcelona playing the, uh, the Primavera thing. That's so nuts. And so unusual, like how fast that was, you know? Yeah, probably a little too fast. I definitely didn't like <clears throat> until really until Steven and Billy joined the band. I, I didn't have like a I the live show was different. Yeah. That was the beginning of the era of bands getting big before like they had played shows. Just yeah. MySpace. And now it happens all the time with TikTok. Right. It's like every band that we get offered to tour with. They're like, they haven't played shows yet, but they're huge on TikTok. That's really funny. And do you think it's yeah. like, oh, that's kind of starting a whole other thing, but it's wow. almost that like so much now that it almost might become meaningless at a certain point, you know? It is. It doesn't translate yeah. to tickets if that's the... 
but there was a period yeah, TikTok where viewers are not concert attendees necessarily right yeah <clears throat> it's um it's another weird transition period but this was like i do remember it pretty well and i remember i think i was at the pitchfork festival that you guys played and i was working as a cameraman and i remember yeah how many times have you played pitchfork festival just the once or I think maybe twice, yeah. two or three. I think it was the first one. It was like that year you blew up. I might have, I didn't film your stage, but I remember seeing the name, seeing you guys like walking around probably and just kind of like taking note because I was like so new. I was like, I didn't know what any of these bands were. I was just an absolute. Oh, that's right. Young, You're a Chicago guy. Yeah. I was a young goofball. Yeah. And, um, was just like a camera operator, but it was that year. And it was maybe the first pitchfork festival, at least the first big one. But I feel like that era where if you got picked up by like the fader pitchfork, it was game over like zero to 100. Yeah. It definitely did something for your career. And so labels were looking for that. Like you're, you're the, like the funnel into like a wider audience, more album sales, more money was getting like a best new music or something. Obviously, yeah. like it's best new changed. music automatically got you a top 10, Warner Brothers and Universal. Um, right. <laughs> I, that's that's all. There's like five years of A and R guys. The only thing they did was look for the next best new music on Pitchfork, then pounce on it. That's really funny. Right. Wait, they probably when, wasted a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. When did you? When did the the main record deal happened. I think you know the one I'm thinking of, Nate, where you self-negotiated. That was... <laughs> I'm going to make Again, Stephen might, might have to, like, fill in some of the details. We were already in... So the, we had already signed the deal for King of the Beach, and Stephen was working A&R for Fat Possum at the time. Okay. And now that I'm thinking about this, I'll have to ask Stephen if he cares because I think he's doing A&R for them again. But we had played some sort of show or we were finished because we recorded in Mississippi or something. And afterwards, we went with somebody at Fat Possum and started basically negotiating a deal for my back catalog. And we were doing copious amounts of cocaine and there was a gun on the table uh and i basically just negotiated um the first two waves records uh to be bought and fold them into the current deal that we had for king of the beach this was was this at the house that i while, while holding a gun pointing it at <laughs> <laughs> the label guy. What wasn't it was it was it in person or was it over the phone? No, no, it was in person. Really? Yeah. I well he put the gun on the table. Oh, so it was his gun. While we were it was his gun, yeah. And it was like a dirty hairy gun, like a revolver, yeah. but the barrel was really long. So real gun. <laughs> yeah, it was a real gun. Because he told us later on that he slept with this gun under his pillow. And I remember not thinking I know he wasn't lying, but I remember just thinking in my head, it's probably really uncomfortable. Just yeah, like Princess and a... the P. Yeah, it's a long it's like gun. A big gun. <laughs> not like that's really crazy, but like, oh, that's probably not good for your neck. 
and it's heavy. I mean, like sleepy. Somebody breaks in. You're sleepy, pulling out the dirty Harry. Absolutely yeah. not. You're gonna yeah. be wobbling all over the place. Probably hit your. If there's somebody in the bed with you. They're getting whacked, pistol uh-huh. whipped. No, thank you. Poor strategy. But actually, I don't think I ever heard that full story. I just knew that you had. You actually. What I did know is that you had a lucrative deal, which is kind of rare for an indie band. But you had a, well, a good, it was like a good deal. And you, I remember you telling me, you're like, yeah, weirdly enough, I negotiated it myself, just like really drugged up, like on a bunch of yeah. cocaine. So the, not a lot of people do that, but the guys at Fat Possum, which is probably why I still work with them, they're just, they're sort of cowboys. And when they're, they're willing to negotiate with you, I mean, whether there's a gun on the table or not is, you know, probably off-putting to some people. I guess my inclination was to grab the gun and point it at him, which is probably Wait, did not you a really? good idea either. You really did that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I thought you were saying. joking. No. No, I grabbed the gun, pointed it. <laughs> Wait, what did you And say? then Steven, <laughs> Steven was like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Hey, now, hey, hey, come on. Oh, my <laughs> God, dude. Uh, yeah, this we guy, got the deal to done. give you an idea of this guy, when I was working there, we wouldn't meet at his office. We would go, we would drive an hour away and meet at the dog tracks. Okay, that, that's sick. that's where he would do deals at the dog tracks. This guy sounds sick. Yeah. Well, dude, he's awesome. Man, it has been a long time, but now it's just reminded me of um another place where copious amounts of drugs were being done is uh that bowling oh alley gosh. by your house. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, All star lanes. lanes. That was a really yeah. funny hang for a while, and there was like there was a lot of indie rock people that were kind of coming through that area same with black boar rest yep. in peace to both those places uh, well the actually patrick just talked to me he said he went uh it's now the fable right the fable yeah yeah he said he went there recently and had a had a blast but yeah it's black the same boar, bar it's the same bar that's just a different name yeah but black boar and uh all-star lane so those were there like i'm not gonna put anybody on blast but there was like a a drug dealer that worked out of the sketchy bowling alley Right. Yeah, we can we can say it now. Nobody's. I mean, his name was Angel, but he was a buddy of mine. That's what I thought. He came over one night. I remember him cutting up lines on a really funny album. I don't know what it was, but like, like so, what, a record at my house. Yeah, yeah. Was he wearing bowling shoes? Possibly. No. But no. he was like a he legit had like his full face tattoo. Yeah, he was like a guy that was yeah um, involved in some some um gang activity really he was really nice no he was so nice yeah he was a super nice guy and stoked to hang and i don't think he knew like i don't think he listened to your music really at all i think he just knew that you might like were in a band and he thought it was cool yeah no he just like sort of took a liking to us and uh and yeah he was the connect for a while he was a super fun guy and then all-star lanes sort of uh got shut down and then obviously we lost blackboard as well so the the all-star lanes was the craziest convergence i mean this was like i entered i was just kind of like in your orbit at that point so i didn't know why anything was happening but all-star lanes was like a full-on functioning bowling alley with a bar inside for like just absolute alcoholics like old alcoholics and then there would also be like people from indie rock bands and the music industry hanging around there and sometimes there'd be this convergence and you were never sure like which one of these you were talking to. You would get locked in with some of these people, you know? 
And I remember for me one night, some older dude was chatting me up and I had been drinking, but then he was like, hey man, can you do me a favor? Help me with my car. And so I like walked with him to his car and what he wanted me to do was to blow into his ignition <laughs> and because he was like had one of those DUI things. And I don't remember if I did it or not is the thing. I think I was like, if you were drunk enough to do it, you wouldn't have passed. Yeah. Maybe that was my excuse is I was like, ah, but I remember feeling like the ethical dilemma of like, dude, do I do this for him? You know, is there a law against that? Like if you get caught, I'm sure I'm sure. Yeah. You can't do that. I'm sure I had been drinking. So I probably wouldn't be under the thing either, but he was giving me some like bullshit. He's like, it's broken. It's like not even working like i'm gonna need you to do it it's like not he's like i'm not drunk but it was one of those there was a lot of those people hanging out in all-star lanes which yeah, was also a 99 cent chinese uh place inside that bowling alley oh my god yeah i forgot about that, that yeah was really- and then there was like a, an arcade room uh and they had tekken 3 that's a super street fighter maybe like a like a ddr or something in there um, they, had, they had shows there too. Sometimes I played. They with did Mika. have shows. Yeah, I played with Mika Miko there in like 2007. Dude, it's yeah, it's, legendary. There, it's for lease right now. In other words, they could Should use. They could use a landlord. They could <laughs> use a landlord. Oh, I can't imagine the backlash. Nathan of <laughs> Waves owns a bowling alley. Fuck you, man. Dude, I mean, I just want that place to exist. It was so sick. There's no replacement. Was, There's no replacement. No. Well, actually, you know, when we first, when me and Jesse first wrote up the idea for the hideaway, uh, wait, was it hideaway? What was the bowling alley one, Steve, on the last record, the video? Was it hideaway? Uh, yeah, that was hideaway. Yeah. When we wrote that up, we wrote it up with All-Star Lanes. Mm-hmm. And that was the idea was like a shitty, like rundown bowling alley with a bunch of sketch balls. And we called them to try and see what like a day rate was. And I think they never called us back, which is why we ended up going out to the desert. And uh, I can't remember what the other place was called. Um, okay. So you re- negotiated your own record deal at Fat Possum. Yeah. G- gun on the counter. And at what stage was this? Yeah. This was some, at some point, during our term limit for king of the beach and i remember they wanted the back catalog which was waves with two v's waves with three v's and so i was that was sort of what we negotiated this is but our term our term limit with king of the beach though this was always my my big issue with these uh with these deals was i wasn't as worried about the upfront money as much as I was, uh, the how many years I was locked into the deal. Yeah, seems like it was probably just a blur from being like a random dirtbag working at American Apparel to all of a sudden like the having money and like trying to be in a position where you're not going to lose it instantly. You know, but it actually yeah. seems like more With- of a blur than I th- even knew it was. Yeah. Which again is like why, because you hire these people, managers, I've had the same business manager for, you know, 12 years. You hire them because they, you know, especially music business guys, they've seen it before. And so you get some lump sum of money 
and you want people around you that are going to tell you like, Hey, put this money into something like you don't want to have this money out because like I had, I had no money management skills. Like that money was as good as gone. Uh, the moment it hit my bank account. Yeah. So better to put it towards something than, you know, let it burn a hole in your pocket. That's Steve. You've probably witnessed a lot of chaotic Nate eras and moments. Oh yeah. Seems. Oh yeah. You're the pretty, you're like, are you the, <laughs> would you say you're the calm one? I mean, that's uh, from my observations. True. Yeah. For yeah. the most part, I'm probably the worst drunk though. Like, really? Maybe uh, uh, just when I get drunk, I'm probably the worst at being drunk. I think. In what way? Maybe not. I don't. I don't think Nate that's true. He's definitely the calmest and nicest. It's like the Steve is like the one. If somebody's like, "Oh, I know that Nate guy. Fuck him. I don't like him." Everybody's like, "Yeah, I could see that." If somebody's like, "Oh, you're Steve is in your band. Oh, fuck him." You're like, "What's wrong?" Oh, a hundred percent. What's wrong. something you know is what wrong mean? with you? Yeah. Yeah, a weird person to not like. Yeah, um, he's liked by all. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, not definitely not the same. But D- Steve, everybody in I don't this, think, band, I don't think I'm intimidating. I, I wish I was. Like I'm a big guy, but I don't think anybody's scared of me, and that's kind of my goal. Not you, you, no, you have a gentle you gotta personality. You got to pick up the gun off the table. Pick up the yeah. gun. Yeah. Sometimes you got to pick up the gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was gonna ask you like what. What are your funniest Nate anecdotes that you were a witness to through the years? Uh, well, when I was setting up my mic, I actually, I did come across a gift card or not a gift card, a little uh, thank you note from a festival we played. And we played the very first Made in America festival that Jay-Z oh, puts on. Oh, and uh, it was almost, it was sort of fire festival-esque. Because it was yeah. a giant festival. They didn't have any water. Like they were 100% out of water for festival attendees and artists. Uh, the only thing that we had to drink uh, was Jay Z gave us a bottle of cognac and a <laughs> bottle of champagne. And that's the only liquid we have. And I, and I have the uh, from oh my God. Jay-Z <laughs> waves. That's really funny. <laughs> Yeah, it was and, a bottle uh, of Ace of Spades. So Nathan, I mean, I obviously just, I mean, he was trying to get drunk, but it was also super hot outside. We were playing middle of the afternoon, no water. So he's just drinking cognac, like, so he can sing. So by the time we've played, it is, he is totally blacked out. Uh, they kick us out of our tent backstage because Solange decided to came. So they kicked every artist who was playing out of their backstage, just into a field behind the backstages. And uh, so Nate was blacked out at like 3 p.m. And since we played so early, we decided to fly back to L.A. that night. So at the airport, uh, we go to our gate and Kendrick Lamar and his crew are on the same flight. Uh, Nathan probably doesn't remember this, but I do Nate, remember. Nate was super excited, like nervous and shaking, and he kept scooting over, like <laughs> one seat at a time, just like <laughs> trying to get close to Kendrick Lamar's crew. 
And then like he was like five seats away. And so he couldn't really hear what they were saying. But every time they would laugh, Nate would start laughing like he was part of the crew. (laughs) (laughs) And then like airport employees were coming up and wanting to take pictures with Kendrick Lamar and Nate would like kind of be in the background also taking. (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, and then i think uh, you uh chatted up a prostitute on the way home oh wow yeah yeah that all sounds about right we also went to a whiskey bar before we went to the the airport that's the last thing i remember who is the prostitute uh i don't know her name jack (laughs) i mean (laughs) (laughs) that's a very good point you're you're on a partying streak back there yeah it wasn't it wasn't Yes, I was. But a funny one. A funny one. I mean, there's like stories, you know. That's what you're supposed to do in your 20s. Yeah. Weren't there a lot of fights? Yeah, there are a few. There are, a few. are there any we could tell? There's some band fights. There's some band fights. Sure. There were a couple. Yeah, there were a couple. You're trying <laughs> to squeeze it out. I don't know which one you're Actually, I'm, referring I, no, to. No, I'm not particular. even aiming. Okay. I'm not aiming to. I, I just know that you've told me a bunch. And I honestly do not remember who it was, but there was quite a few. Steve? I think the I straw know. that broke the camel's back for our drummer Jacob was uh, we were coming back from a show late night, uh, going up the ho- the hotel elevator, and we had just gone to Taco Bell. Jacob oh, the spent Taco like Bell twenty dollars on Taco Bell, got an extra large Sprite, like a big box. He's so excited because that's like he was having a bad day, and Nate <laughs> looks at him dead in the eye. Knocks out all of his Taco Bell, <laughs> steps on it, the Sprite spills in the elevator. So Jacob doesn't get his late night food. Jacob doesn't react. He just stands there, dead-eyed, gets off, and then he quit uh, pretty soon after. That's he insane was, uh... of you, but also I was, by the way, I was asking about fighting other bands, not your own band. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but why did you do that to him? <laughs> we were... Uh, in some sort of, I can't remember exactly what it was, but at our sort of, out of the end of the road. He was easy to pick on too. I I still love Jacob, but he's easy to pick on because he's an asshole. Okay. Yeah. He was, uh, but all my friends are assholes. So it was like a little justified. Yeah. I I don't even remember what it was, but there was something that was, there was something there. And he was like, was this, this wasn't in uh, China. It was, was it? like right that... before we went to Asia where, yeah. And then he quit after that. Yeah. He had like a toothache or something. <laughs> he did. He had a toothache at the time. So he was in a bad mood already. And then yeah. it, his toothache became an abscess while in Asia and he had to get his tooth pulled. Oh my God. Kong. You know, what's funny is Zach, when Zach was in the band at the end of that U S tour, the, when he was like, oh, I can't go to Europe. I have a something. He had to go to a dentist. That was his excuse, too. So, Dude, what are you, what are you doing to these guys' teeth? I don't know. We're just we're eating a lot the of candy, Taco Bell. The like candy a, regiment. He's, he's too sweet. Hey, yeah. Too sweet. That's funny. I was, I mean, I was talking about getting in fights with other musicians. I, I know. They, I mean, a drummer's not a musician. What are you trying to say? Well, not with, he's on your own team. He's supposed to be on your team. He's digging. There's been some Steve, beefs. Can we not talk about If you don't want to talk about it, it's fine. There's some been some uh, band I mean, beefs. 
yeah there's been there's only like big physical altercation that people know about was i got in a fight with uh sky jared that was in this band black lips oh yeah because he called me a he called me a faggot for some reason <laughs> and then i saw him at this bar that used to be in i think it was in brooklyn called daddy's and so we got into it there there's some others well we won't we won't put it in I don't know what the others are. I can't even remember what the others are, but there have been others, I'm sure. I don't love any more talking shit about other artists, even if I don't like them. I feel like that was... I did it a lot, again, in my 20s. I was sort of constantly beefing with everybody. And now I'm more like... I would like for generally for everybody to to try and, you know, make a buck and and to be well. Yeah, dude, you've matured. You've grown up. Um, you know, it's funny. I was thinking back the other day. I I really learned a lot from you. Uh you were the first person I knew with kind of an independent thing going on. You had this audience. Um you're the first person I knew with like a Twitter following and yeah, I was just thinking back to like how much I learned from being around and soaking all of that up and watching you kind of maintain this operation of your band in the Waves universe. So it was cool. I learned a lot back then. Yeah, but thank you. I, you're, I think you're better at doing that than I am now. I mean, <clears throat> a lot. Uh, and also uh, Dermer, the guy that introduced yeah. us. Oh, yeah. Sort of just like the like relentless with his like you know in his pursuit of getting whatever it was whether Dermer's it was like something for a, a music freak. video or whatever he's an absolute freak i get yeah. do you still have projects in development with him probably 10 years after oh. the fact oh yeah he never stops i mean and that sort of thing is like super inspiring to me because he like he really never stopped like he just keeps going and going and going and going and uh yeah, it's uh, uh, you. P you see, people give up after like one or two times with something, and he's like, sort of like sinks his teeth in. And he like just doesn't let it go, and it's like proved to be really. I mean, he's the level I think of you energy have that a little is bit crazy. Too. Like it, it makes you. Um, I think it makes you a better person, just like in your life. But it's also like you don't see it very often. Like people get turned down once or twice, um, pursuing some sort of like art whether it's like a video or like a short or podcast or a movie or music and they just give up yeah so it's cool he he's really rapid fire i'm more susceptible to i think what most people are where you kind of like even if you have good ideas you talk yourself out of doing them Dermer doesn't have that he makes anything he thinks of all the time yeah but yeah. <laughs> what's funny is that like i think some people creative people talk themselves out of doing every idea and they just never do one, which is yeah. funny because it's like some of the stupidest, tiniest things could end up being the one, um, which like in your case for MySpace, I'm guarantee you did not think that was going to happen. And all of a sudden, I mean, like from from the moment that kind of took off, was there a point where where all of a sudden you had like a mental break, if that makes sense, where you're like, oh, I'm here. OK, so like now I'm. 
here at this next stage and you kind of like got a chance to look around, what would that time period be? Yeah. Like right after Primavera, I canceled the rest of that European tour. And then I went home and I remember I talked to my dad and I said, like, I don't, I think this is like happened too fast. This is too much for me. Cause there were like a ton people were just like piling on talking shit. And I remember he said to me, because I was really the pitchfork or, or one of these faders, whatever it was, I'd said something about one of the songs that I had written prior to that, where they said something. I, I just remember they included the word genius in it. And I probably like, I think maybe I had mentioned it to him or read it to him or something, probably like a little bit like bragging. And I remember when I came back and I was telling him like, fuck, it's like everybody hates me because people were like saying they wanted me to like die after Primavera. It was a very strange thing. The first time I had ever like experienced that sort of thing. And I remember my dad saying, if you believe the thing they wrote about you saying you're a genius, then you have to believe this too. So it's like better not to, put any like weight in any of it if you want to play music like keep playing music and if you don't then don't but like don't idle in between and so i was like that's just like good straightforward advice and i did like take a little bit of time to sort of regroup and that was when i went to sacramento and i recorded a song with zach hill called cool jumper and that was sort of when it like started back up again interesting how long of a period was that even like the downtime Maybe a week and a half. Week, <laughs> That's like not that. even that much. No, because I at that point, everybody was talking because it became like a thing with the Primavera. They were like, this guy sucks. And then I remember seeing people being like, he can't even write a song. Like he's just got a shtick where he like covers it all in a bunch of fuzz. But and I remember that being sort of the sticking point where I was like, oh, fuck these people. And so that was the idea when we talked when Steven joined the band. I was like, let's go record like a crisp record in a studio where it's just like you can fucking hear the song like it's it's hooks it's catchy they're like pop songs people still and, call it though yeah i know <laughs> people still call us like blacker stoners too so yeah well you are high right now technically technically i am high right now I'm on the I'm on the legal Tennessee weed, the Delta Eight gas station weed. You're smoking gas station nice. weed? Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's uh, it's Tennessee. It's I, I've got some real weed too, but uh, during the day is it like K two fake weed? Huh? Is it like K two? Is it what is it? Isn't that it's like Delta Eight? Doesn't that put holes no, in your brain? No, uh, no yeah. K K two is like spice, right? That's the one yeah. that killed those people. Yeah. Yeah. Delta eight is like CBD, CBN. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's literally just like the stranger that, okay. All right. Yeah. I thought it, he has, was like... it has to be under like 3% THC. Okay. So it's a plant. It's a plant. Yeah. That's good. It's come from, it, it comes from the hemp plant. I thought you were so... smoking like the rhino, the rhino XL version of weed, you know, where it's like, <laughs> going to do some serious, I, I... it's somehow worse than illegal drugs, you know? Yeah. That's my Friday night, Colt 45 and K2 Spice. Rhino XL. And a Rhino XL, get the fucking party started. Mm -hmm. um, that's really interesting about the... So post-Primavera and the comeback, then you put out that other album, and then sort of like the next phase started. Yep. Um, once King of the Beach came out, 
and then people are like, oh, he can write a song. And then uh, and then they're like, oh, he's live because then I had Steven and Billy who like made the band. I mean, the band like was so much better with them in it. Um, then it like sort of took off to another level. And then with yeah. Afraid of Heights, when we signed to Warner Brothers, that was probably like another step up. And then I think once we got there, we were kind of like uncomfortable. Uh, I, I think it was something that we were maybe thought we had wanted or maybe like just the, like the, the flash of money. We were like, oh, shit, you just had to like grab it at that point. But it was like an uncomfortable place. Like I remember going through those tours where we were like playing for random radio stations at like noon and doing all of these things that like the major labels wanted us to do to try and like, I don't know what the end goal was, but we were obviously like not made for it. I remember just being like, we were just wasting everybody's time. We messed up a few. We just didn't know how to play the game. Uh, we were not prepared to do any of that stuff. We were just playing. Like, they always wanted us to do acoustic performances, which yeah. we can't do, really. Maybe maybe if we practice some. But, and like, I don't, we did a Sonos. Remember the speaker company, Sonos? Mm-hmm. We played a party. They had like a pop-up space in West Hollywood. And we played a party for Sonos and they provided the back line. And it was just like practice amps and a toy drum set, like almost no PA. It was a it was a shit show of the production side. So we didn't take it seriously. We got really drunk. And I think we started tagging like other speaker company names on their walls and stuff. And apparently that was like the big one. That's where like the the talent booker for uh jimmy fallon was there and just all we just we i guess ruined our shot that night from what i hear and i i think i got drunk and got into my underwear and started I, like crying oh yeah you're crying no, at sonos he, yeah he took it yeah he took his pants off on stage i think right yeah, because it was just such a shit show already. Like it didn't make sense yeah. to even try to play music. And yeah, but we we messed up big time. All that at a Sonos party? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, okay, that's first of all, that's nuts. It was sort of like it was like you know how people do showcases at the Troubadour, and then all the big wigs sit up uh-huh. in that little balcony area. It was kind of like that, but just like everybody was at this Sonos party and blew it when was that when was that uh that's right after afraid of heights came out so that was the first like warner brothers pushing us to do what to be like like, the foo fighters or something like yeah 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 i remember there was like talk about doing like a tour with the foo fighters there were a couple and we didn't take any of the offers i think we like we took the offer to play with phoenix and daft punk at um Madison Square Garden and then we did a tour with Blink-182 but other than that we just turned down all of the offers because we were tired of cuz they don't pay you and we were tired of like not making any money like it was at that point we were like we've like put in the work like I don't want to go and and you're you know playing to 20,000 people 
<clears throat> but like you're first of three. And so you're still making $500 a night. And like, it's, you're not covering any of the expenses. It's all coming out of pocket. You're losing money. And it really doesn't do too much for you in the end. Uh, maybe for some bands it does, but it, it didn't seem like it was going to do anything for us. And so we just sort of didn't play the game. And I remember like the A&R at Warner Brothers, we were like, they just stopped writing us. And we were like, fuck, like we like blew it or whatever. We finally got in touch in touch with somebody and they had fired. Steve, do you remember this? They had fired like maybe like 50 or 60 people. They fired and the so, whole department who was in yeah, the whole department. of our record. And so our record just kind of got lost. I don't think lost we in the mix and so it was all were. new people they looked at like statistically what waves was which I, I you know it was still like we were we were debuting on the billboard top 200 or whatever but like in the grand scheme of things it's like why are you going to waste any time on this on like trying to break this band when you have your i don't know katie perry's or or whatever it was at that point it's funny that it even like got to that point um to almost yeah. like Foo Fighter status. It's really funny. I've never really considered that. It's, and it's rare, really rare for that to happen. But yeah, I guess like to round all this out, it's like the things happen really fast, I think, for musicians, if they happen at all, which they usually don't. And then right. it seems like you have this little period where there's the money, the money grab time. But I, I think even that, like the perception, I think the perception of... uh success with um with people like artists that people like is very different than the reality often you know does that make yeah, sense absolutely um and i'm not necessarily saying that with you guys but it's fun like there's been times where i've seen people talk about like a certain band like they're rich you know and it's like oh yeah yeah it's like dude these people are broke like <laughs> i know where they live you know yeah um and it's, I, it's I was thinking about that the other day too where it's like i remember like seeing a band like the locust play in San Diego or whatever, and know that they like had done a tour in, uh, you know, Japan or something, whatever. And I was like, man, they like, they must be rich. Like yeah. there is this, like, you it's don't a huge understand disconnect. it. You disconnect. I remember thinking, I'm like, they, all those guys must be millionaires. Well, it's sort of like, like th that's was the reality of it up until you know 2002 like if you signed a deal as a like up and coming band with like a lot of heat uh with warner brothers like you probably were pretty well off but uh that ended yeah and it's really over now too it's completely different you know oh yeah for sure i mean you could have streaming a hit song and thing on spotify and like not make money Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You need like hundreds of millions of plays to make anything. Um, so I guess like my last question is like, what's next? And um, any any sage wisdom from from this this journey? I'll, I'll give you a lesson. This is not a fun lesson. OK. One of the lessons that I've learned along this journey was like what we were just sort of talking about is you i think we sort of got um obsessed with the like leveling mm -hmm. uh, and uh, this happens in all sorts of things like it happens in sport it happens in business it's like you're, it's built into you to think like you have to take the next step up 
or whatever. And like, sometimes I don't know if I thought like it would make me happier or it would, or instinctively that's just what you're supposed to do. But I think looking back now, like it was the wrong, it, it felt wrong too to even play into like the sort of major label circuit of things. And like signing with Warner brothers was probably one of the bigger missteps that we made as a band. It wasn't like a, it wasn't a, you know, a, a nail in the coffin, but like we're going on uh, for this year and it's the 10th anniversary of afraid of heights. And so we were like, Oh, we should, play those songs and sell that record uh we can't sell that record because warner brothers owns it still 13 years is what the time is on that 13 years it's very common and it's even more common for them to own your merchandise and take a piece of your touring so my it's not as common anymore because people don't need labels and like you know that like you have to sort of like self-promote and do that stuff. But that would be the, like probably the biggest thing that I learned is like, if you don't learn how to self-promote, you don't learn how to do that stuff. Then like, you're going to end up being a fish out of water. Wow. Well, boys, thank you for coming on and um, telling the story and a lot of things I didn't even know myself. Um, And also thank you for coming on for what might be one of the final episodes of this show. So I'm glad we finally made it happen. Thank you again. Thank you. I'm sorry. Congrats- I'm sorry about that, Zach. Do you call me Zach again, or are you apologizing for Zach? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and congrats on your new uh, podcast. And you, you have a Patreon for it as well. Not yet, but probably. Oh, soon. Okay, got to do probably that soon. Also, uh, I have a Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com/slash/waves. Uh, if you're anybody is interested in the whole waves world, early access to merch drops, tons of demos. All sorts of fun. All right. Thank you again. And folks, thank you for listening.